The Way Out Podcast, episode 184. I am Ashley. I am a mother. I am a daughter. I'm a significant other. I'm a friend. I'm an employee. I'm a student. And I am a person in long-term recovery. And for me, that means I haven't had any drugs or alcohol coming up on three years. This is the first time I've ever really actually told my story outside of like a treatment setting. The family that I came from, uh, substance use disorder runs thick through through everybody. Uh, my grandmother addicted to prescription pills. Um, my father and um, my mom both smoked meth and crack and drank and um, I was brought up in Lancaster, California, which is like the last city going north in Los Angeles County. It's in the middle of the desert. My mom would leave for like days. Uh, and I always wanted to go with her, you know, because she was my mom and I loved her. Uh, but I did not like to be bored in the trailer park <laughs> where she would hang out. You know, but I would I would go with her and lock themselves in the bathroom, you know, for hours. And I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and then when I was like 13, which is about the time I took my first drink, I asked her if she was doing drugs. She basically told me that I was crazy. I think a lot of females can probably relate to this. I started hanging out with older men because I was, I was looking for something. You know, I didn't feel good about myself. I thought I was crazy at this point and they wanted me to like have sex with them. And I was really shy about it. So they were like, you know, here, drink this. And I remember that feeling of all of my inhibitions were out the window, you know, and I just felt like I was good enough. I felt like I was like skinny enough. I felt like I was pretty enough. I was smart enough. And that these people really wanted to hang around with me. And I kind of just let them do whatever they wanted because I felt good about it at that time. I think that's why it really took off for me. And then, you know, it was, we were off to the races after that. You know, once I realized that there was something that could make me feel good enough. My first job, when they had to have a hygiene conversation with me because I smelled bad, because like if I were to shower, like he would think that I wanted to go have sex with somebody. It was bad. And so at that point, like I was like, dude, I have to get out of here. Then I started hanging out with, um, people who did drink problematically. I basically showed up at this dude's house and I did not leave his house for two months. And we drank all day, every day. And that's when I started puking up blood. Called my sister, the white sheep. I began to, you know, like I was crying and I was like, I'm having a hard time. I'm puking up blood. Just pay my freaking electric bill. And so she said she wouldn't do it until I went to the hospital and got medical attention. I still feel guilty about that because I knew that he was lonely and I knew that he wanted to be with somebody and that he didn't feel like he was good enough and that he would do whatever I wanted him to do. I'm an honest, uh, significant other. I'm a good friend. I'm a good employee, you know? Um, and I'm all of those things because I just worked on myself and I stopped drinking and I stopped blaming other people. 
and I took a hard look at myself and now I have the choice of being who I want to be. I think that a lot of women really struggle with what they've done to their kids. If my mother and I can repair our relationship, the relationship that you have with your kids, I promise you, is fixable if you do the next right thing. That unconditional love that we have for our children, they have that for us as well. I promise. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week, Jason's got an interview that all you ladies out there will especially relate to with Ashley Herget. Don't tune out just yet, though, gents. I related to Ashley's story in a way I didn't expect, and though I know I shouldn't be surprised by now, The universal struggles that unite our collective experience as people in or contemplating recovery show up early and often in Ashley's story. Just shy of three years clean and sober, Ashley brings her story to us in a disarmingly frank and vulnerable retelling of her journey to recovery, rife with fits of inadequacy, shame, family turmoil, and knockdown drag out bouts of addiction and alcoholism, all from the female perspective. So to all you ladies out there bringing your sober on the daily, this one's for you. And for every single one of us, there's a whole lot of recovery wisdom and insight about to be heard, regardless of what gender you happen to identify with. So listen up. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Way Out Podcast. I got Ashley here. 
is your last name really Aloysius? No, that's actually um, a nickname that my grandma called me growing up. My real last name is Herget. H-E-R, G is in George, E is in Electric, T is in Tom. Wow, right on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was. I was like, I don't know. I don't think that's really her name. No, I wish. I asked you that though, like a year and a half ago, and you said it was your real last name. So, uh, I've known to be a li- I've been known to be a liar before, so we're setting the record straight now. <laughs> You're so funny, and little smart mouth, smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh, sarcastic individual myself. Um, so yeah, Ashley is here to tell us her story and share some experience, strength, and hope with us here on the way out today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ashley, what you're, uh, like how long you've been clean, maybe how, how you chose to recover or what's been working for you in that regard. Okay. Well, um, I am Ashley. I am a mother. I am a daughter. I'm a significant other. I'm a friend. I'm an employee. I'm a student and I am a person in long-term recovery. And for me, that means I haven't had any drugs or alcohol coming up on three years. Um, This is the first time I've ever really actually told my story outside of like a treatment setting. Um, But I came into this world like all of us, right? Kicking and screaming. Um, And I imagine that my mom and my parents looked at me the same way that I did when my son was born. You know, they had all the hopes and dreams. They could see all the potential in me. Um, I'm the youngest of two girls. I have a sister who is eight years older than me. Her name is Amber. Um, And I kind of call her, she's like the white sheep of the family. (laughs) (laughs) Golden Um, child, I call it. (laughs) Right. Um, We are all kind of fucked up. You know, my whole family is a little bit fucked up. Um, And so I was the baby, so I got um, a lot of the attention, you know, and the family that I came from, uh, substance use disorder runs thick through through everybody. Um, My grandmother was addicted to prescription pills. Um, My father and um, my mom both smoked meth and crack and drank, and um, I was brought up in Lancaster, California, which is like the last city going north in Los Angeles County. It's in the middle of the desert and it's a real shithole. That's where I grew up. Um, My mom um, was like the general manager of a Denny's. So I would always get those samplers with like the, there's like chicken nuggets and then there was like mozzarella sticks. And uh, so those are, those are fun memories. Uh, I really, my whole life, I've been really unsure of myself and very self-conscious, um, constantly needing that validation. And if you follow me on social media, I'm sure you can see that. That's very real still. Um, and so I, re- I really clung to my grandma and my mom um, because now I know it's because they were fucked up too. <laughs> um, and so... I started realizing maybe that something was going wrong or something was off because, you know, my mom would leave for like days. 
And I always wanted to go with her, you know, because she was my mom and I loved her. Uh, but I did not like to be bored in the trailer park <laughs> where she would hang out. You know, but I would I would go with her and they would lock themselves in the bathroom, you know, for hours. And I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and so I just, I had that memory of a kid of just like being confused. Um, and then when I was like, I think 13, which is about the time I took my first drink, I asked her if she was doing drugs. She basically told me that I was crazy, you know, that I just didn't want her to have like a good life. Um, and I believed her. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that's when, and I think a lot of females can probably relate to this. I started hanging out with older men, you know, um, because I was, I was looking for something, you know, I didn't feel good about myself. I thought I was crazy at this point. Um, and so I remember I, my first drink of vodka, I was there, um, with my boyfriend at the time and his friend, um, and they, I was like 13 or 14, um, and they wanted me to like have sex with them. Um, and I was really shy about it. So they were like, you know, here, drink this. Um, and I remember that feeling of all of my inhibitions were out the window, you know, and I just felt like I was good enough. I felt like I was like skinny enough. I felt like I was pretty enough. I was smart enough. And that these people really wanted to hang around with me, you know, mm. and I kind of just let them do whatever they wanted because it, I felt good about it at that time. Right. Um, and so that's, I think, why, I think that's why it really took off for me. Um, and by that, and then, you know, it was, we were off to the races after that, you know, once I realized that there was something that could make me feel good enough. Um, so I incorporated that into every aspect of my life moving forward. Yeah. I mean, and not to mention the fact that you, something inside of you, whether you understood this or not, something inside of you knew that that was wrong um, to, you know, open yourself up to that so easily um, and that, that you needed to take something to make it like feel okay. But I'm sure after there was some shame and, and things that maybe you didn't want to, and you probably felt confused, you know, cause it's like, it felt like you were accepted. It felt like you were being loved. Right. And like, and you, yeah. So it's like, you got left, left brain and right brain. One say, no, that was bad. These people don't care about you. The other side's like, no, that was awesome. You know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, once you're conflicted, man, then it's like, but I don't have to even feel the conflictedness because I, I know how to shut that off. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it was, excuse me. I don't have the coronavirus. It's like the Newports, I swear. You're <laughs> far away from me. I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, I do. I care about your well-being and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, so then it was just really easy for me to, and I really didn't have any morals or values at that point anyways. Um, 
I was kind of taught, I was always in survival mode. You know, when I think about it growing up, I was never really taught to thrive. You know, it was like, what do you have to do to get by on welfare? You know, that whole, that whole thing. Um, I, so it was, what do I have to do to, to survive? And I thought that that's what I had to do to survive at that point. And I didn't really care about anything else because it didn't matter. That's what made me feel good. So that's what I was going to do. Um, Validation. And it was instant. And that's like the best kind. (laughs) So we thought. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't have the coronavirus. (laughs) You don't? (laughs) Um, And so then it was just kind of like, it was a part of my life. And it's like, I snuck out of the house to do it. You know, I didn't want to be there anyways. Um, when I was in like fourth grade, for instance, I was like on the honor roll and I was in choir. I was a choir boy. Were you? Oh yeah. I was in choir till I was a junior in high school. (laughs) Yeah. I had like a sweater vest. Oh wow. I didn't, I didn't have anything that cool. My mom got me a sweater vest from like old Navy and it was like the coolest thing ever. Anyways. Wow. The sweater vest was gone. I want to see pictures. (laughs) Fuck the sweater vest. Um, <laughs> and then, so like, uh, that's when I was in like seventh and eighth grade. I had a 0.20 grade point average. In a 0.20 grade point average wow. in seventh grade. Well done. I, right. Because <laughs> I just, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, right. So that's like when I was like that, like wild child. My mom wanted to put me on like the Jenny Jones show. You remember Jenny Jones? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where like the drill sergeants yell at them. Yeah, scared wanted, straight. Right. She wanted me to do that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so so now I was like the kid that was um, stealing wine coolers from the pharmacy liquor store. You know, I'm in California still at this point and I'm ditching school. You know, and I think that my boyfriend, he loves me. <laughs> um, and my dreams were like crushed. You know, when he had moved on because he didn't really want to be with like a 14 year old girl. He was 19 at that time. You know, he wanted, he was used to me. And that was really hard for me to accept. And that rejection set the stage for like everything <laughs> for my whole life. I still deal with that rejection. Yeah. Um, abandonment yeah abandonment and I felt like you know like my mom's always fucking gone you know my grandma we're living with my grandparents my grandma's passed out on the floor you know like Mm. what am I supposed to do um my sister was always gone you know she was doing she was like teaching English in France she was going to school right the white sheep like the whitest sheep (laughs) um Far and away, way different, way different. Right. Um, so then it did was you did you like resent your sister because she was so good? Yeah, I did. I did, and I didn't because I wanted that. I wanted what she had. Right. But my grandmother and my mom and I were closer because we were dysfunctional. Right. You know what I mean. And my sister was kind of like, if you needed money, who you would call. You know, yeah. so 
I was happy that I had like more of my mom and my grandma, like their affection, you know, but it was not by much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you can tell, like my family relationship with my mother primarily was a little rocky. Um, not to mention that she was um, hanging out with my uncle who had um, sexually abused me when I was younger. I never told her that because I thought that she wouldn't believe me, you know? Yeah. Um, but that was really hard because in my head, like I knew what was going on, but I, I would still try to go with her over there because I wanted to be around her. I would sleep on the floor because I didn't want her to leave, you know, the house. That was hard wow. to kind of deal with that. Um, and then, so once I realized that alcohol could like make me feel better about myself, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do. Um, and seeking love and validation from men um, was huge. It's a huge part of my life. Um, I always, whenever I tell my story, it's so hard because I, I don't want to be like, oh, well, when I was dating this guy, this happened. And when I was dating this guy, that happened. But that's kind of how my timeline is in my head. Right. It's like, who was I with when that happened? You know what, though? There's no right or wrong way to share. And there's no right or wrong way to frame things in your mind, you know, different people's brains work differently. Um, when you're in your case, you know, you, you found, you, you kind of place your identity in your relationships from what I'm hearing. So of course that's how your brain frames it. You know what I mean? And, um, we all, we all have like, kind of like same, but totally different stories. You know, like I can relate so much to what you're saying already, um, even though, you know, our paths are different, uh, but as far as the feelings and, and the, some of the experiences and it's like, you know, don't, don't like stay that because you, that's how your brain framed it. You know what I mean? And that's all right. A lot yeah. of women I'm sure can relate to that. A lot of women probably share that same kind of like thought process or how their memories are kind of filed away, you know? Yeah. This yeah. one's for the ladies. For the ladies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then I, I started, like, you know, the, that's when I was, like, an alcoholic. Every, once I took that first drink, probably before that, that's when the manipulation started. That's when the lying started. Um, I remember, like, I would want, want to talk to my boy. Like, my mom grounded me, and I wanted to talk to my boyfriend, so I would tell my science teacher that my mom had cancer. And I had to call her to make sure she was okay. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. horrific things. But then, like that's when that started. And it's so strange that I was in eighth grade. <laughs> but to you, but to you, you're like, that's genius. They'll never like, question oh. that. There's no possible way that they're going to tell me no. Right. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> got cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is essential. <laughs> it's essential. Yeah. It's essential Sorry. when I speak to my mother. Um, so, um, you know, I started drinking more and then I got into like a really serious relationship with a gentleman. Um, I was 16 and he was 24. Um, so he had a car 
and he could legally buy alcohol. Um, and he was paranoid schizophrenic. Wow. I didn't believe anybody when they told me that. And I didn't believe anybody when they told me, you know, don't date this person. Um, but I did. And that is when I got introduced to meth for the first time. Um, and I remember the feeling like where you feel every hair on your body stand up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this, this is definitely it. <laughs> you know. Um, and I was so opposed to drugs before. Um, but he was doing it. And, you know, if he was doing it and he was choosing to do that rather than spend time with me, for instance, like it had to be great, right? Well, and then you could include <laughs> yourself in that, like, secret time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I was a kid. Yeah, and I was a kid. I was like, so, like, this is interesting, you know? And that's when I found out that, so I was 17, that's when I found out that my dealer was my mom's dealer. And that's how I found out that that your mom did that shit. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, it, she there was a trailer park." I was like, "You ever been over to Rancho Vista Trailer Park?" He's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Oh, you know Debbie?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, little Deb." <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. And then I like had ammo, right? Like I could be like, "Mom, I'm leaving." You know, you're on drugs. You lied to me. Um, and that's what I did. I used that against her in a way that could get me out of my house mm-hmm. so that I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. Um, Sounds pretty she, familiar. Yeah. I, to- I totally guilted my mom into emancipating me when I was 16. I didn't want to go to school anymore. I thought school sucked. I was skipping all the time anyway. It was cutting in on my drug dealing time. You know, it was cutting in on my party time. And uh Yeah. I guilted the hell out of my mother for all the crazy shit she put us through with her drinking and stuff. And God knows what else she was doing, but man, I think it was mostly alcohol with her, but yep. I can really relate to that. I, I just held her right over the coals on all of it so that she would like do my bidding. And I pretty much got away with murder after that. I could leave whenever. Yeah. Yep. Just do whatever. And then, like, so she, I was, like, on Seroquel at that time because I was trying to get Social Security, right? Because that was, like, my dream. My dream was to get Social Security. I wouldn't so have to work. Yeah. Um, Very good. Yeah. So I got, <laughs> so got Seroquel, and, and, and she, was, she had pill issues as well. And I, like, gave her the Seroquel. I give you this Seroquel, will you let me go? She said, yeah. And she knew that this dude was crazy, you know? Um, and he was crazy. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who suffers from paranoid schizophrenia that smokes a shit ton of meth. Yeah, it's not the no. best drug for people that have that disorder to be doing. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It was rough. I mean, it, I remember I was up in my room because I had to be home. This is like before I convinced my mom to let me leave. And this is the first time he went crazy on me. He was like peering through my window and he's like, who are you, you know, who are you having sex with? Who are you with? Dude, like, I'm not with anybody. you crazy. And I let him in to like show him that there was nobody there. And he freaked out. He's like, there's people inside the wall. 
you know, and that's like when he hit me for the first time, punched me in my face, and I ran after him. I ran after this dude just punched me in the face. I ran after him and laid on his car, begging him not to leave. Mm. And it was like, a match was, made in heaven. Right. Like it was some Eminem type shit, like Marshall Mathers. It was like <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Um Yeah, man. And after that is when I moved out with him and I for some reason I thought it was gonna get better. Mm. But when we were alone, I mean worse he didn't have anybody to there was nobody to stick up for me to tell him that he was being crazy Mm. um and i moved to nevada i moved to carson city nevada with him from california so i was in nevada even further in the desert right the the desert sucks i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I I don't know why you would think that. <laughs> yeah, like let's just go in the middle of the desert even more. Right. Um, and so like I was, you know, smoking meth and I was drinking, and I decided that I didn't want to do the meth anymore because um, it made him so crazy, you know, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And that's when drinking elevated because I just wanted him to pass out. Right. I just wanted him to go to bed. And if I wasn't drinking as much as he was, it's because I wanted to go fuck somebody. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. That's so that's, so I started drinking very, very heavily. Um, when we were living in Nevada, I worked at Starbucks. It was like my first job. Um, and they had to have a hygiene conversation with me because I smelled bad because like if I were to shower, like he would think that I wanted to go have sex with somebody. Um, yeah, so it was bad. And so at that point, like I was like, dude, I have to get out of here. Um, so my mom picked me up from Nevada in her like beat up old ass van. (laughs) And I went back to California uh, stayed at my grandparents' place and continued to drink, and I was depressed. And but now you could take showers without getting shit. Yeah, now I could take showers without getting shit. I mean, honestly, like that's. I mean, if you just take a moment out there and th- and like imagine what that would be like. That you can't even take a shower because you're afraid, you know, and because that's the paranoid schizophrenic to, you know, making up things in their head and, you know, you're trying to basically walk on eggshells in your life to like not trigger those things for him. You know what I mean? Right. I think the hardest thing is that whatever was in his head was just as real to him as like the sky is blue. Oh yeah. Perception. Perception is our reality, right? That's why they, one of the biggest things are when I first got in recovery that blew my mind was that your intention is not what's important. It's how the message was received that matters because you can't convince them to see it the way that you intended it. Um, once, once the message is received and a person takes it, however, they're going to take it like that's you know, their reality of the situation. So you can have all the best intentions, but depending on the people that you're dealing with, (laughs) things can go sour. You know what I mean? Because they, you know, if they're not, 
if they don't understand what you're putting out there, you know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, how, how long do you think was the longest you went without a shower? Um, uh, probably like two weeks or something crazy. And I had water. Wow. You know, <laughs> um, It's so strange that I thought that that I didn't, I knew it wasn't normal, you know, but I was willing to put up with that right. or I was willing because I didn't see myself any other way. You know, I didn't care as long as I was drinking and he told me he loved me every once in a while. It doesn't matter that he broke my nose. You know, it doesn't matter that he raped my friend in the same bed as me while I was passed out. Wow. It didn't matter. Um, wow. And yeah, we normalize some crazy stuff, you know, growing up, I remember waking up two, three in the morning, just loud parties in my house. My mom's out there dancing it up and dude, I mean, there was times I like went out there to see what was going on to ask them if they could turn down the radio. And she's like, you know, sucking dude off and like crazy shit going on out in the living room, right outside my room. I had school in the morning. Uh, she'd yes. wake me up to tell me jokes and like piss her pants, which in turn she pissed on my bed, you know, <laughs> and, like, yeah. and I thought that stuff was normal. You know what I mean? I thought it was normal when your mom tells you to come downstairs and like tries to make you smoke a whole pack of cigarettes and, and drink a whole case of beer with her because really her thinking is, you know, he's going to get sick and then he's not going to want to do this stuff. But it was all because she found out I smoked a cigarette, you know, like I thought that shit was normal. You know, I was just a little 12, 13 year old kid, you know, like, and I'm sitting there thinking this is badass, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know Your what I mean? Of it. Yeah. Right. So man, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you moved on from that, that uh, relationship. Yeah, and so, like, it, as I'm sure you could imagine, there was a lot of arguing, there was a, a lot of yelling, um, but, like, one day, I don't even really know exactly what happened, but I was like, I just gotta go. I didn't really even tell him until I was packing my shit. I was like, I just, I'm done, you know. So, I went back to Lancaster, California, and that's, I was 18 at that time. I think I turned 18. So, you know, I dropped out of school. So how did that go? If, if we could stop for a second, how did that go? Um, you know, if you didn't tell until you're packing your stuff, like, did you have family or something there uh, at that time? I mean, or did he like, you know, like I would assume he would flipped out and tried to stop you. So just curious how, how that okay. went. I'm trying to think it was so long ago. Uh, well, I had my shit packed in the living room. I had my hamster Donatello, which was very important. Um, oh, yes. and, <laughs> he was a smart one. Yeah. And then he was <laughs> like, you know, Dave, like I'm, I gotta go. You know, I, I just, I forget what I said. I know that I lied. I think I said that, like my grandpa was sick. Or something oh. like that. And I was like, I just, I gotta go. And I'm not coming back. And, you know, then he played on my emotions. He was like, well, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> you know, like, I'll get somebody younger and prettier. I don't give a fuck about you. Bye. Um, wow. 
Um, and so I was like, okay, cool. So I'm going to go now. <laughs> um, and then I went and it was, it was only. So you had your own car then? No, my, my mom picked me up um, okay. in her van. It was like a, Oh yeah. You did ride. say that. My bad. Yeah. Um, and we like drove back and I didn't really talk about it. Like she knew that he had hit me because everybody knew that. Um, but I didn't really talk about it. I just tried to pretend like nothing happened. I went home and I asked the homeless people to buy me my 40 ounces of 211, you know, and went about my business. Right. Um, and then I decided, okay, backstory, I'm bad at stories. So prior to that, uh, a couple of our friends had robbed a bank, right? And they were searching the house and I was really thirsty. The cops were searching the house for this money. I go and I get a can of Coke to take a drink, right? And this dude's like, put the Coke in the fridge. I was like, I'm thirsty. He just starts screaming at me to put the Coke in the fridge. So I put it in the fridge, go about my business. It turns out that there was a lot of drugs in there and I was the last person to be seen with it. So a lot of people were mad, very upset with me. Um, so when I moved back to California, I had found out that when I moved back to California from Nevada, I had found out that some people thought that I stole it or whatever, which I did not. Um, and so I decided that I should probably move right. <laughs> out of the state. Um, and that's when I, of course, another guy that I started talking to on Facebook. Um, and he was so very sweet. And after knowing him for three weeks, I packed all my shit up in a red suitcase and moved to Minnesota. Nice. Yeah, that's how I ended up here. <laughs> that was in 2009. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you made that impulsive decision. <laughs> it's one, you know, when you think about it, you say, when people say everything happens for a reason, like I ended up in Minnesota who had, like we have like amazing resources for treatment. Amen. So, I mean, of all places to move, like this was definitely the place for me. Yeah. If you want to get well, for sure. Right. Um, so then, you know, I was still doing my thing, drinking all the time. Um, and that's kind of like when I started to know that I had a problem. Because I didn't have like a job, I didn't care to have a job. I that really pissed him off. You know, he worked like full time, and I would do come home, and I was just like shit face drunk. <laughs> um, and so that's what I just kept doing. That I finally got a job at Arby's, where I was the red hat hero. That's like a job at Arby's. The red um, hot hero. The red hat hero. What is that? Like hat. It's like the employee of the month, basically. Oh snap! <laughs> Look <Yeah>. at you. <laughs> right. Um, I started working there. I moved up in like management, so manager. All while drinking myself like to death, basically. Everybody around me knew it. Everybody was like, Ashley, you know, I think you have like a problem. I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't ready for that. I just wanted to just get shit faced every night, go to work, 
that's not it. Well, it's like you said, you were trying, you tried to leave, um, a, a history riddled with toxic, you know, and, and not ever deal with any of that toxic or, or learn anything positive, you know, to replace that stuff. I mean, you were just suppressing, right? You were, and that was self-medicating that entire time. And then I'm sure once you like left that one guy life, you know, as you're continuing to suppress and self-medicate, it's probably feeling more out of control because now you don't have all this crazy shit happening around you to the extent that it was before that you can just easily point your finger at it and be like, look, it's like his fault or right. it's my mom's fault or whoever, you know, my grandma's fault. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, why does my life still feel out of control? You know? Right. Well, and this like this person that I, the, this guy that I moved to Minnesota for, he was like, a, he still is a good guy. You know, yeah. he's a good guy. Like after, and I like just fucking rained fire on his life. You know, <laughs> I was just fucked up all the time. And he's just this like, dude from Minnesota, you know, just like, just this nice guy. And like, hmm. I don't, and I, and I don't, I don't think I have ever forgiven myself for that. You kind of became the, I was the bully. you I became the what, huh? What's that? Like I was the bully, you know, right? I like you became, aggressive. you became what had traumatized you. You like kind of became those kinds of, that kind of person that you probably used to, you know, was your eternal excuse, right? To, to, to get high or to, or to drink, uh, when you, you could always just point the finger at these certain people in your life. And now you became that person for somebody else's life. Right. Un, unwittingly, unknowingly. Um, dude, yes. I just, Honestly, I don't know how many people I've been that guy in their life, but it's been a lot. I know that. <clears throat> like, I don't think he'd ever experienced anything like that, you know? And then he was like, I was like, you know, piss your pants drunk. And he's like having to freaking drag me out of bars, you know? Right. Um, I passed out at somebody's house and they must have had sex with somebody. And he like walks in, you know, and I'm like dating him at that point. And he's fucking like dragging me out of bed. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? You know? And he like, I guess, like, I think that subconsciously I chose him because I knew that he was like nice. And I knew that he would put up with me because he actually did care about me. Right. Yeah. And that's fucked up, dude. That's fucked up to, to admit that I use people. Cause that's not who I am like today. Right. I knew that he wouldn't just let me die. I knew that he wouldn't kick me out on the street. Right. Yeah. I was going to say something, but I completely, you got me, you kind of got my head spinning right now about my own life as, as well, you know, and like, I can really relate to that. Like all of a sudden I'm just this tornado. Right. And (laughs) I don't even know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Honestly, like it's funny how now in recovery, you can look back at that and you can kind of like dissect it and, and uh, make some sort of sense out of that. But at the time it's just, you know, whatever, like, 
I'm not even going to try to fucking understand it because <laughs> what's to understand? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I have to do this shit. I don't have a choice. And then what I do after I use these substances, I can't be held responsible for. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of like, the way I used to act, you know? That, and that's, I think, why I enjoyed it so much because I could do whatever I wanted and you can't blame me, right. you know? Um, I didn't have to amount to anything. You know, I didn't have to put effort into anything. It was cool at the time. Um, up until then, I hadn't really been hanging out with anybody who were like, I. Or it's not my job to classify anybody an, an alcoholic, but I hadn't been hanging out with anybody who really drank problematically at that point. They're kind of just like, damn, Ashley, you're crazy. You know what I'm saying? And that's the essential ingredient, man, for an addict or an alcoholic is like, we need to make friends like that so then we can feel normal again. Like, mm-hmm. see, there's nothing wrong with me. It's you guys that are weird because you don't know how to party, you pussies. Right. And that's <laughs> like, what, like, you don't shit yourself? What? Yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so then I started hanging out with um, people who did drink problematically. I basically showed up at this dude's house and I did not leave his house for two months. And we drank all day, every day. And that's when I started puking up blood. Wow. Um, And I, you know, I had left the place where I was living. The electricity was getting shut off. My roommates were like, you're not paying, you know, your part. You need to come home. So I called my sister, the white sheep, and I was like, you know, can you pay my electricity, please? And she, you know, gave me the spiel, like, Ashley, you know, you're 20-whatever years old. You need to fucking figure it out. And I began to, you know, like, I was crying, and I was like, I'm having a hard time. I'm puking up blood. Just pay my freaking electric bill. And so she said she wouldn't do it until I went to the hospital and thought, medical attention um so basically at that point when i was drinking it was like poison to my body and i still did it i puked even if if i was going through withdrawals if i wasn't going through withdrawals uh, i didn't really even know what withdrawals were until i went into the hospital and they're like taking my blood pressure and i'm like seizing up and i'm shaking and so they checked me into the intensive care unit for three days, and I had just worn out all of the esophagus lining, basically, from all that puking. I was puking up blood. Um, and they handed me a card um, for River Place Treatment Center in Elk River, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I went um, to River Place like four times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was just, it was basically like, I knew that I probably had to do it, right? Like, it just, right. I had to, it's like, whatever, I'll just fucking do it. So I went. Uh, I loved it. I did. I loved um, being around these women, even though I thought forever that I hated women. If you think that you hate women, there's a possibility that you don't. So just try. Right. Um, I got along well with them. You know, I enjoyed being taken care of in a sense, you know, they were doing, I was, my laundry was free. I was getting like cook, free food. I could sit there and just talk about my problems all day. It was fantastic. Um, <laughs> so yeah, 
I did my 28 days and I was like, bye. I went out and I drank that same day. Wow. Um, and then I decided that I should probably move back into that apartment that I was living in with my roommates. And I was like sleeping in like my walk-in closet because I was still on the lease, but hey, I didn't have any money. <laughs> we got to back up a little bit because you were living with this dude who was like the perfect codependent. Mm-hmm. And then you went to somebody's house and you were drinking for two months straight and never left. When did you move in with roommates? Like what's so all I was living. Okay. So I was living in an apartment in Elk river and then I dipped out on them to go stay with this dude who drank a lot. And that's when I went to the hospital and went to treatment. Right. Right. And so I moved back into my apartment. But when did you move in with those people? Who were those people? Those were just roommates that I had uh, an apartment with that when I was working at Arby's. Okay. So yeah. like you broke that dude eventually broke up with you. Said you got to go. Yeah. It was kind of like that. It was kind of like, I like didn't have a job. Fucking, yeah. Fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you finished my sentence. See, yeah. we are simpatico right now. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it. Uh, but then I was like sleeping in my closet. It was kind of hooked up though. I had like a bed in there. Christmas lights. Wow. So nice. Um, and I used that, to do that when I'd take too much like acid. I'd, <laughs> I'd go make a little fort in my closet and bring a candle cool. and an ashtray. Yeah. Your drink <laughs> some snacks <laughs> some jimmy john's i have like uh, a sandwich drawer right it didn't exist at that time <laughs> how old am i yeah i'm 39 oh um i had so like i would just basically be awake long enough to drink and pass out i had like a little drawer by my bed with my Jimmy John sandwiches in there, unrefrigerated. So in the middle, right? Fucking nasty. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, I could just like wake up and take a bite of my Jimmy Johns. How long did you let those fester? Uh, like two days, dude. It was bad. What was the like, fuck? Yeah, and I was like, why do I always have diarrhea? This is so weird. Oh um, wow! Could <laughs> be the sandwich drawer. Oh wow. Uh, that's when that's when I met Noah's dad. Noah is my son. Um, yeah. and that's when I met his dad. And I was very honest with him that I was living in a closet. I didn't really tell him I was an alcoholic, but that I was living in a closet. You didn't tell him uh, that you were alcoholic, but you felt like you're safe to tell him that you lived in a closet. <laughs> I live in a closet. Yeah. Um and that's that's awesome. When I met him, and that's when I knocked my front tooth out on a whiskey bottle. So I was walking around, Ouch. Drunk, and I knocked my tooth out on a whiskey bottle. I just got it fixed like a year ago. Um, and that, I mean, it makes me sound, it makes me feel vain or whatever, but that was one of the hardest things ever. I was missing my front tooth, you know, I was all fucked up. I was puking my guts out all the time, eating right. old sandwiches. <laughs> and, Damn. and Noah's dad, he was like, that's the one. That's I her. love her. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So I, know, I think about it. I'm like, there had to have been something. Well, there is something 
there's nothing wrong with everybody. But anyways, right. I, there, for him to think that that was okay, how didn't I know that there was something wrong with him as well? So he was the, he drank the most out of anybody that I had ever met. Mm. Um, and he was six months sober when I met him. Um, and I knew that. I knew that he was six months sober. I had been to treatment prior. I knew about alcoholism. I knew about treatment. I knew about all that. But I still had him take me to the liquor store. You know, I asked him to drink with me, and he did. And we went to the liquor store at 9 a.m. the next day. And that is when shit got really fucked up. (laughs) Um, I still feel guilty about that. Because I knew that he was lonely. And I knew that he wanted to be with somebody. And that he didn't feel like he was good enough. And that he would do whatever I wanted him to do. At least you're honest about it. Yeah. That's good. That can't be easy to say. I mean, no. ever, it's, it's, you know, but honestly, <laughs> I hope you know that like he made his decision. It is fucked up. Don't get me wrong. That's not right. cool that you even put him in <clears throat> the situation to be triggered, but he still made his choice, you know? And if he had been, like if he had worked hard for his six month sobriety, like just because somebody has some sobriety, right. Doesn't mean that they have recovery. And if he had some recovery, he would have drawn a healthy boundary there. You know what I mean? Obviously. And he would have also probably not been like, that's the one, (laughs) you know? Um, So don't, I hope that you know that and that you don't, because I don't know if anybody ever told you that before. So like, it was just on my heart to, to, to say that to you, because I think yeah. it's so important that people can kind of shift my perspective that way too. You know, sometimes when I'm being open about something that's been eaten at me. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just hope you know that. And if you didn't, I hope you do now that he made his choice and you can't own other people's stuff. You got, I mean, your own fucking, heaping plate of shit that you have to own. So don't like pile more on it with other people. Yeah, I don't need any more. Yeah, I did feel, I felt really bad about it for a really long time. But I mean, I know now that everybody makes their own decisions at the end of the day, you know? Um, But so then him and I both ended up going in and out of detox together. um, And then we both went into treatment together. Um, not like together, together. I went back to the river place and he was like at recovery plus or whatever. This time I did, um, 90 days in treatment. Ah, I loved it. I did. I loved it. I met my best friend ever there. I did a lot of work on myself. I had, I was great. I got a job. Like, uh, it let me discharge to where I was doing like live in PCA work. You know, I had this nice setup. Um, I had free rents. All I had to do was take care of this guy for overnight, you know, make sure he was okay. And I was good to go. Well, I relapsed again. While I was like taking care of him, I had like a delivery, like an alcohol delivery, delivery. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And 
he found out about it. My best friend that I met in treatment, I moved her in there too. She was doing the same thing, not drinking, but she was taking care of him overnight too. Right. Um, and they now you guys are just totally taking advantage of this vulnerable adult. <laughs> no, she wasn't. I was. She was good. Oh. She was. She was living there doing overnights. She was sober. She was clean. I was not. I was right. drinking what, when I should have been taking care of him. Okay. Um, and they all found out about it. And he didn't kick me out. <laughs> hmm. He said, go to treatment. He said, I believe in you. Um, so that's when I went to outpatient in St. Paul. Um, and that's when the magic, <laughs> when the magic started happening. I don't nice. know what it was. I don't know what happened. I really don't, but I started like working on myself. I started seeing the world through like different eyes. I had goals for myself. You know, I went and I got my license for the first time. Like I had never had my license and like that little chunk of achieving something good was addicting in itself. Right. You know, like if I can do that, what else can I do? You know? Yeah. But then my sister gave me her car. I called it Pat. It's a 2005 Honda Element great car. Uh, my friend Jared and I went to Colorado to get the car. We got the car and we drove it back. You know, and I'm still sober and life's going really good. Um, and then I wanted to start thinking about having a baby. Because uh, I didn't think I could have a baby, but it turns out that drinking a liter a day of vodka can mess with your <laughs> reproductive organs. Right. The doctor said I could have a baby, so Tim and I um, started trying to have a baby. No, it's dad. Um, I got pregnant, and I was so freaking happy. Um, like I felt like I could do it. You know, I felt like I really could. Um, and he was happy and we were happy. Um, so we moved out of Jeff's house. Jeff was the guy that I was taking care of. So I was still taking care of him at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we got a call that my mom, um, like overdosed. And so on what, um, well, on she, there was pills, and there was crack, and there was meth, and there was everything. So it took a lot of convincing. Um, but I opened up to her about the sexual abuse, and I moved her here to get treatment. So she went to treatment. She moved into Smith Lodge Sober House which Noah's dad had stayed there before too. So my mom and my baby dad both were in the sober house. <laughs> <laughs> once I got, once I was pregnant, we all moved into an apartment. My mom, um, Noah's dad and myself. Um, and then Noah's dad decided that he didn't want to be with me anymore. And I was like five months pregnant. Um, and that was really hard uh, just because we had planned this kid out. You know, uh, I felt like we were there for each other when we were at our lowest. I felt betrayed. I felt 
I was pregnant, so I was emotional. You know, uh, I felt like this dream that I had was never going to happen. Right. But there was no connection between us anymore. There was no spark. There was no, it was just familiar, familiarity at that point. You know, it was somebody who'd seen me at my worst and I'm pregnant with his kids. So let's just stay together forever, you know. Right. Um, so that didn't work out. And that like rejection feeling came back. Um, and I was so happy to be pregnant because I didn't drink, you know, I wasn't going to drink. Um, and that's what kept me moving. Um, I had my son, my best friend, Amber, she was in the room with me when I had him. I told her not to look. I was like, don't look, but she looked. And she was like, I was like, oh my God. Um, I had Noah, um, in July of 2018, and that was all I needed. You know, I was good. I was good to go. Um, What's his birthday? His, his birthday is July 18th. July, oh. 19th, July 19th, 2018. I was getting mixed up. Four days before my birthday. Four days. Yeah, if I hear anybody say they're born in July or somebody was born in July, I'm like, "What's his birthday?" Because I'm wondering. Um, if same. If maybe we have samesies. I think I remember, like, when I posted that he was born, I think you were like, oh, like, he was so close to being, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he was born, and, like, I was super happy, you know? I was happy. I was working at the Goodwill at that time. Um, I was talking to um, Tony. Tony is this gentleman that I live in this house with. He, uh kind of showed me that like I'm not weird you know he's in recovery as well and he's super hot so there's that no, um, he's super so, hot super hot um, <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome he's, he's like the opposite of me like he's super just like chill where I'm like super kind of crazy and like it's like a good balance um, <laughs> and cool. like him and him and I like just started talking and that's when I started working at missions detox. Um, and I was so happy. I felt like I could do anything. You know, I was working with clients who I felt like I could make a difference in their life and I could relate to them. Right. And that's when I got my tooth fixed. Um, and I was just like, dude, life is going so good. You know, I'm a great mom and everything just kind of started really taking off. Um, I got my GED and that same day I went and I applied at MCTC for the addiction, pro- the addiction counseling program. Nice. Um, and I just kept working on myself. Um, so being going to treatment, definitely my, my roots are in um, the 12 step program for sure. And the 12 step program has helped me so much. Uh, but I, I, when they say take what you want and leave the rest, I definitely do that. Yeah. That's definitely what I do. We all do, man. Yeah. We have to. Right. You know? uh, that's what's helped me. Um, so I just was, you know, I was going to meetings and going to school and then things kind of got a little overwhelming, you know, and they still kind of are. Balance is uh, going to be a struggle. <laughs> 
So yeah, so currently um, now I work for Minnesota Recovery Connection um, in the mobile SUDS department, so Substance Use Disorder Support Group. Yeah. Um, and up until the COVID-19, I was visiting people in hospitals, in detoxes, at their home, kind of just telling my story and then supporting them um, where they're at, you know, what their goals are. Um, and I think that that is like the perfect place for me. I'm not one yeah. to tell anybody, you know, what to do or how to live their life. Right. So, um, my life today is completely different. Um, and you would think that that would be like great news, right? Like, well, it is great news. But it's also but like, uncharted territory and it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, change. I, it's, it's like a constant, like, flowing of change. You know? And I don't know who I am. Like, I know who I am, but I'm not used to this me yet. I'm you know? so there with you. So there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. It's That's, like I, you, nailed it. you nailed it. It's like some sort of identity crisis almost, mm -hmm. you know? Or like, it's just, I don't know who this person is. I still see myself, that chick in the closet, in, you know, sleeping in a closet with a sandwich drawer. But I'm <laughs> sandwich fucking drawer. I might have to name this episode the sandwich drawer. Sandwich drawer. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm not that. You know, I'm not that person now. Now I'm a loving mother. I'm a forgiving daughter. That's um, awesome. I'm an honest, uh, significant other. I'm a good friend. I'm a good employee. You know, um, and I'm all of those things. Because I just worked on myself and I stopped drinking and I stopped blaming other people yeah. and I took a hard look at myself um, and now I have the choice of being who I want to be yeah. every day. And my mom is a great um, grandma. I think that a lot of women really struggle with what they've done to their kids and if anybody is, is watching this, um, if my mother and I can repair our relationship, the relationship that you have with your kids, I promise you, is fixable if you do the next right thing. And your kids, that unconditional love that we have for our children, they have that for us as well. I promise. That's awesome. Thank you. You're you know, welcome. I, you know, I got two kids I haven't seen in 18 years. So I get it. And I just can't have expectations, but I got to have hope. Right. And, and I do have hope you know, yeah. that maybe one day there'll be a chance to know them. But uh, they were three and one when we were estranged. Uh, so your mom, is she still doing well? Does she still live with you? Yeah, she, she lives right Right over this way, in this room over here. Cool. She lives downstairs. We moved into a house. So we're all together now. So now I have inherited a lovely stepson named Ozzy, like the Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne. Um, yeah. Azariah. You know, Ozzy. every time I hear the name Ozzy Osbourne, all I can think is him on stage going, Go fucking crazy! Because <laughs> that's like what he says every time. I've seen him live with, like, if you 
include Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne solo shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen him like 18 times. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I used to like <laughs> concerts were my life back in the day. Just... Yeah. Yeah. And so I have all of that. You know, I have, I'm surrounded by love and I'm surrounded by support. Um, but I have no clue what the fuck I'm doing ever. Still, I still don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I always say the best thing that I ever learned, the most important thing I ever learned in recovery is that I don't know shit. And as long as you can maintain that level of humility, mm-hmm. you're going to be doing all right and you'll continue to work on yourself. But I think it is awesome that you're studying to be a counselor. So, I mean, you're doing school, you're, you're already kind of working in the field. That is like really awesome to have a purpose. And I know so many people that are doing that. And I don't really know why I never did that, I guess, because when it first started with the peer support thing, it was when I got on the train and I got my certification, but then it didn't pay much. Mm-hmm. And I think now that it's becoming like reimbursable through insurance, it'll start paying better. And as more quantitative research comes out that shows how valuable your services are, right? Mm-hmm. But either way, man, I mean, I, di- I didn't really do it for money. I did it. I did it so I could like be in a better position to help people who are struggling. Right. And to strengthen my own recovery because I just want to learn. I'm like a sponge in this thing because I don't know who the fuck I am because I don't know, <laughs> you know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy for you though, that you found, found your niche and, in and, and you've, you found all these awesome opportunities to, to like, better yourself and work on yourself and yeah it's really cool man it's i just love watching people in their journey really succeeding and and not even like acting like oh life is perfect because you don't you are not that person you you're real about it when you're struggling with shit you know yeah yeah it's and i i mean i think that i i do struggle a lot I don't know really it's there's always something because in life there's always something there's always going to be something um so just learning to navigate that is super huge um and being vulnerable is like kind of my thing it's like you know what I mean like there has to be somebody out there that can benefit from our vulnerability um so (laughs) I just want people to know that like you don't have to know everything and you just take it one day at a time. That's, and that's, I mean, that sounds super cliche, but it's super, like it's super true. Well, I mean the one day at a time thing, it's like, if I think about how I can like never drink or get high again, that, I mean, at least before, like in the beginning, it was way overwhelming, but I, you know, I realized though I can do it today. You know what I mean? Like that's not like a huge request. Like go to bed sober today, <laughs> you know, and like that's sometimes on especially on the hardest days, sometimes that's what we have to reduce it to. Like if you hit if your head hits pillow and you're clean, well that's a fucking win. Right. Even though life might not feel like you're winning. Like you got to be able to celebrate small victories like that. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing here? 
sometimes it's like, okay, well, I can't drink today, right? Maybe tomorrow, just definitely not today. And then right. tomorrow will come. And then it's like, I just do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah. So how long have you been working with Minnesota Recovery Connection? Um, since November. Nice. Since November. And we're kind of just like a, a team of folks who uh, we work on like a referral basis. So we get referrals from um, Health East Fairview, uh, like St. Joe's, um, St. John's hospitals in Washington, Dakota, and Ramsey County. That's who we get our referrals from. And ideally, we like to meet them at the hospital and kind of have a conversation with them about their goals. Sometimes we go to their homes or coffee shops. Obviously, now that's not really a thing because of the COVID-19. So, Yeah. That is awesome, man. You work with a couple really great friends of mine. I actually yeah. know I actually know most of the people that work there. Again, it seemed like for a little while, like all the people I knew were like moving on from that place. Mm-hmm. But then it's funny because they replaced them all with people I know too. Well, that you know. Like, I dig it. You know, I, I just I guess what I dig is that I it makes me it or it reaffirms that I'm I'm connected, you know, to this community out here. And, and that's an awesome feeling because sometimes, you know, I can still isolate. Well, now I'm government mandated to do it, but you know, where I'm sitting here going, shit, you know, I should reach out or I need to like get around some people and stuff. But I mean, there's, I definitely don't have a shortage of people that I can go to that I know like yourself that are just doing so much for the community and really are strong and and really do understand and that's the beauty about this you know in recovery it's like no matter how good anybody's doing they can relate to you and you're in your pits of hell you know what i mean like because we all came up out of the pit right might have looked a little different i might not add a sandwich drawer (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean that shit was great. The city was uh, Yeah, so now, I mean, I guess I always kind of like the long story short. Um, I have a sh- I shower now. Good job. I, I don't have a sandwich drawer anymore. And um, I'm just maneuvering my way through life the best way that I know how. Um, and becoming somebody that I can be proud of. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you. Thanks. I'm proud of you, too. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I know I was like earlier, you were talking about self-doubt, you know, or self-consciousness, self-doubt. You know, I still struggle with that and it's a thing. So, but it's funny because if I can allow myself to really like meditate on where I came from and what I've done, it's like, you can't help but be overwhelmed with this gratitude, right? Like for, for how much, you know, and the changes that have taken place in my life, I can't even really take credit for most of them. It was just, like you said, being, letting people guide me and, uh, and being willing to put in some work towards, you know, a better me or whatever. And that's, there's a lot of different ways to do that. That's why I think Minnesota recovery connection is so cool is like you guys honor all pathways to recovery. You are resource center. So you have over 20,000 resources available on your website. 
that touch every aspect of life, not just, uh, you know, addiction treatment or, or uh, detox, but, you know, housing and, and uh, mental health stuff. And you guys mm, really everything. touch, yeah, you touch on every base because recovery is life, right? It's a holistic lifestyle choice and it's a long lifelong learning that that we choose to commit to and undertake and so if you're wondering well how can these guys be on a podcast and they're talking about their struggles and they're because that's recovery man you know we're not gonna be like fixed overnight or in a couple years this is a lifelong lifelong it's a lifestyle choice so yeah um what do you i was gonna ask you what what uh are you a big reader uh what what's your like favorite recovery literature my favorite recovery literature so i um i do not classify myself as um, any religion or, or anything like that i do like daily meditations yeah. Um, and I have been reading with some of my clients, the Jesus calling, <laughs> Jesus calling. I love that yeah. book. Yeah. You know, there's another one. Is it called like, I don't know, man. I bought it yeah. for my mom. It was really fancy looking. It was like Jesus. It was by the same lady. What's her Sarah young. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, but I think it was called like Jesus always or. Something like that, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but I almost kept it. I bought it for it for Christmas, and I was like, dude, it had, like, gold leaf pages, and it looked like a really fancy hardcover. I was like... There's, like, even if, you know, even though I'm not religious or whatever you want to call it, it doesn't say bad stuff in there for sure. Also, um, there is a book that it talks about what, how trauma affects you biologically, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. The body keeps the score. Yes, I recommend it. If um, you or anybody you know has you know, been through some trauma, kind of just how trauma can change you biologically as well and what wow. it does to your brain. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Uh, a lot of times we ask this question in pretty much everybody. And a lot of books, you know, we get repeated, you know, people – saying that check it out but i'm not sure if that one's ever been no i could be wrong i'm not gonna lie and say i've listened to every episode of the way up podcast i haven't yeah but uh i've listened to most of them took part in a lot of them too but the body keeps score do you know who that's by i don't actually not I can, off the top of my head i can google it because we'll put we'll put these things in the show notes for people so they can check it out yeah and it's not necessarily about you know recovery or anything there are some like bits and pieces in there as to like how trauma can affect your brain which could possibly lead to alcohol abuse or drug well it sounds like recovery to me you know because <laughs> recovery is not just about the substances no it's all like a trifecta. laser pointing trifecta. people can't see it but i was laser pointing at you with my pencil <laughs> Pew pew. All right. So there's some book recommendations. Uh, what if you had to give one piece of advice, like the golden, like a, like a nugget or two that, that really helped you in your recovery? Um, what, what would you tell the listeners? 
Oh, that's a hard one. Like um, best advice or whatever type thing. Or something that just like clicks with you and like gave you the aha moment when you heard it. Like, oh my God. Um, just that you can't, you can't change the past. All you can do is, you know, move forward. And the, I think it's mostly when it comes to mothers and parents that I have this, you know, feeling towards just, it's possible to fix things. Don't feel like you've dug yourself a hole that you can't dig yourself out of. You can, um, and you hit the bottom when you stop digging the hole. So just stop digging the hole. Yeah, I love that one. Because it's like everybody's bottom's different, right? And, I mean, it talks about it in the big book, how, like, eventually it got to the point where, like, some younger people were starting to do this work that still had the family and the house and two cars in the driveway and they were able to recover without having like destroyed everything in their life. And they were like, that's when we realized that this works for anyone at any point, if you're willing to do the work. Um, and that was like, I, I always liked that section. I'm not that guy, obviously. <laughs> I mean, everything was uh, pretty much res- resorted to ash by the time I really did this thing. But, you know, like you said, there's no, there's no bottom too low. There's your kitty. Yeah. He's, you hit the bottom. He's attached. Stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, you got any parting words there, Ashley? Um, hang in there, everybody. Stay safe. Stay connected. Um, if you need any help, any resources, you can go to minnesotarecovery.org and yep. find stuff there and just take care of yourself and your family. Would you like to leave any contact info in case anybody maybe wanted to reach out to you? Yeah. If you have any questions about um, Minnesota Recovery Connection Services, you can email me at ash. L-E-E dot H-E-R, E is in George, E is in electric, T is in Tom, at minnesotarecovery.org. Wait. So <laughs> A-S-H-L-E-E dot what? Forget. H-E-R, G as in George, E is in electric, <laughs> T is in Tom. At minnesotarecovery.org? Yes. Okay. You are official with that. You got cards yet, too? Oh, yeah, dude. I got hella cards. <laughs> now you can hand out your cards, you professional. That's awesome, man. Thank you for all you do, Ashley. And I really appreciate you being on the show. And I know your story is going to help a lot of women out there. I think a lot of people, even even men, really, could relate to your story. I know I sure did. I got a lot over here in it. Um, so thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, 
all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.